Oh, just wait for the video to start. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I'm really glad that you called now. Um, and congratulations for your beginning practice. So tell me about it again. Yeah, um, since I've started practicing um, the way Bante teaches, um, it almost feels too good to be true. And there are teachers who say bringing up wholesome thoughts and uh, would be um, looking away from reality and thus a hindrance to understand suffering, the first noble truth. But um, I've read that uh, the Buddha says exactly um, what you teach, um, that you should actively acknowledge unwholesome thoughts and you should actively stop them by bringing up wholesome thoughts also to understand suffering. And something that goes with it that seen from outside, some teachers seem to talk like robots, almost never laughing, just seem to do dry meditation and dry insight. And my question is, yes, there's suffering, but to realize and to investigate it, shouldn't you, shouldn't it be done with a happy mind or can it be done with a happy mind, a realization? The answer to that is, is that you cannot practice correctly without the happy mind and that uh, this is, um, let, let us say that that little statement infiltrates itself right throughout the suttas in subtle little ways. Um, one of the uh, funny ones, in fact, is when this when the statement uh, Ananda asked the Buddha and Buddha's answer was that I find pleasure wherever it may be found. Okay, okay, there is also in Sutta number 139. The major point about that sutta is how to talk or speak to the Dhamma so that we don't insult the students. And sometimes I've recognized that I have done that. An example of that would be introducing the concept of uh, victims and losers versus winners too early, because at one time I had a student say, uh, I'm not a loser. And I said, wait a minute, I didn't say that you were, but I lost her at that particular moment. Once once she had said that, once she had determined that I was considering her a loser, when I don't consider any of my students losers, they're the ones who did. And that's the part that she missed, you see, is that of course she sees herself as a loser. How dare I see that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not that I'm seeing her, I see it in everything. Back to 139 about how to talk to about the Dhamma. Even in that sutta, there is a large section about pleasure. Pleasure of, the, uh, of getting one's mind straightened out and pleasure in teaching the Dhamma. Also in Anapanasati Sutta itself, one of the steps of Anapanasati is to gladden the mind. Now, we can see that in any way that we want to, but a better, I think, translation would be to brighten the mind or to joy up. 
There is another one, Dan, and that is, is that the final uh, number seven step in uh, the seven knowledges of a sotapan is to become delighted in the Dhamma. That that is what when when you see someone completely delighted in the Dhamma, then that is one of the hallmarks of that they've reached the state of sotapan. Because they are just blown away with how great this stuff is. <laughs> Which is exactly the way that you're talking about it. Okay. Now, there's also an entire other group of suttas that talk about specifically what we do and how we do that. And that would be uh, the first one that we can look at is sutta number uh, 117 which is the great 40. And this is a beautiful, beautiful, noble exposition of the Eightfold Noble Path. And, and it never talks about an Eightfold Noble Path. It never mentions the number eight at all. But what it does say that uh, I'm going to teach you right noble view with its uh, requirements and its supports. Okay, now that's quite interesting because that means there's two two issues to, uh, no, wait a minute, sorry, I mistaken that. Mm -hmm. That the Buddha says, uh, I'm going to teach you right unification of mind. Mm -hmm. that, that was the mistake that I made, sorry. Right unification of mind with its uh, uh, basically uh, the things that come along with it, as well as the requirements for it. So it's the supports and the requirements. And in this position um, is where in our context, we are talking about right effort. And one's right effort is to remove unwholesome thoughts and put into the mind wholesome thoughts. But we also have to understand that there are two different kinds now of wholesome thoughts, or a better way to say it is, is that as we refine our understanding of wholesome, it changes its definition. An example of that was uh, in a conversation I had with a good friend of mine who is quite uh, well known as an expert in the Mahasi method, says that when the Mahasi method is being done correctly, with the noting, then mm. those thoughts too are wholesome. And I say, yes, they are, because you're looking at reality. However, if we just came uh, or were in hindrances that were dry, then that noting is going to be dry, and they even talk about it as dry. Yeah. Okay. By insight method, okay, which is merely just the noting or having wholesome thoughts that are only wholesome in a certain respect. Yeah. Okay, and one of the questions about which respect it is, is are these liberating or not? Can one become completely and fully liberated with just the dry insight? What it appears that what happens is the answer to that is is both yes and no, or perhaps even neither one. <clears throat> <laughs> but there is the case where the dry insight practitioners <clears throat> goes through then the dark night of the soul, 
and pops out the other side with um, finally the attitude that, hey, if I got through that, I could get through anything. And then they begin to lighten up. Okay, so it's a long, long, slow process if it's done dry, if it's done wholesomely. But yeah. most uh, practitioners don't practice wholesomely because they keep mixing unwholesome thoughts with the dry insight thoughts. Yeah. Or the noting. Okay. That in fact, what happens sometimes is they wind up doing nothing but noting negative thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unwholesome thoughts. So now we have to look at the fact that in this regard of wholesome, there's two qualities then of the wholesome. One is, is that are they merely reality? Or is this a reality that's uplifting us, that's actually taking us out of the muck and mire of our own lives? And that this is where the teachings of the Buddha really shine in the sense that the Buddha was very, very big on pleasure, but he was very hard on sensual uh, pleasures or sensual desires or what in English would be a better translation as carnal desire. Okay, ah. eat, drink, music, sex, drugs, rock and roll, hedonism, <laughs> uh, Vacations on the beach, <laughs> uh, hot toddies, sake, the whole nine yards of um, taking physical goods like sights, taste, sounds, drugs, and other things that come from the outside world in order to make one happy. The Buddha was really hard on that kind of pleasure. Yeah because it always has uh, drawbacks, dangers, and benefits, uh, or let us say, besides the benefits, that all we can see in those things often is the, uh, the gratification, but we don't yeah. see the dangers. Yeah. Okay, so many people can see the gratification in a donut, but they don't see the dangers. Yeah. Some of those people can see the gratification in alcohol, but they can't see the dangers. Yeah. Okay. Some people can see the benefits in arguing and getting your way, and some people can see the dangers in doing that. Yeah. Okay. So this is all about uh, gratifications and dangers, and once we see the danger in something, then we plot our escape. The Buddha, in fact, uses those three words is gratification, danger, and escape. Yeah. All right. Now, if we actually understand then that wholesome thoughts that are dry, wholesome investigating thoughts that do not have any joy with them, there is danger in that. And the danger is, is that you never get any joy. Or at least in that moment, you don't. It's hard to get joy when everything was dry in the first place. This is why we actually have to put some skin in the game of building up the joy or go finding it. And then, in fact, back to that statement of the Buddha, that the Buddha will find pleasure wherever it may be found, which means yeah. he's out 
actively searching for it. Yeah. Okay, that's a major point, and that out actively searching for it is also the actual process then of taking on the right effort with one's right view to determine what is wholesome and is not wholesome, and then taking the effort to remove those unwholesome thoughts and put wholesome thoughts in. Yeah. So that's number 117. Then in Sutta number 19, right next door to the Sutta that you mentioned, is where the Buddha talks about two kinds of thoughts. <clears throat> and two kinds of thoughts are, guess what, wholesome and unwholesome. And the brilliant part of it, the thing that just really slaps me in the face is the name <laughs> of that sutta is two kinds of thoughts. And you just have to reference back to the 117 in one's right effort. Yeah. Okay. And then the Buddha gives the analogy uh, of the cow, cow herd that mm -hmm. is whacking the cows to keep them in line. One wholesome yeah. thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. And once we get the cows in line, they can march down and get go to the pasture. And now we can really relax. The cow herd does not have to stand there with those cows while they're grazing in a wholesome way. He can go sit down under a tree. He can even kind of take it easy and put his stick down. He doesn't have to stand with the cows. <laughs> and he can only open his eye once in a while to keep track of the fact that they're still wholesome. They're still wholesome here. They're still wholesome here. Okay. And this is an analogy that's right out of the teachings of the Buddha in the sense that we have to get the mind straightened out. Mm. Okay. And now we go to Sutta number 20, the one that you were talking about. And in fact, the Buddha gives five different ways to bring the mind into a wholesome state. And one of those ways is, is to put gladdening, wholesome thoughts in the mind. So he's back referencing Sutta number 118, the Anapanasati Sutta. They're gladdening the mind. But type number three, I find quite useful also. And that mm -hmm. is just diverting the tension the way that you would divert your eyes away from something that you don't want to look at. Yeah. It's like, okay, I don't need to look at that anymore. I can come over here and look at something else. Yeah. All right. And then the number five, the really heavy duty one on there, which in fact, this is the one that the Westerners remember. It seems like that the Westerners, this is a human trait, but Westerners are really, really good at this human trait. And that is to always remember the hard stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and they forget the easy part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the hard part is, is that if you have to, and there's no other way to do it, that you can, with strong determination, put your tongue to the roof of your mouth, clench your teeth, and be <laughs> gone with that unwholesome thought and not allow it to come in. You're taking strong effort right now, so that's how strong the effort is. This is, in fact, the way that we would talk about it is, is that one's right effort is the minimal amount of effort that it takes to get the job done. And in this particular case, the Buddha is talking about if it takes that much effort to get <clears throat> that job done, 
we still got to get that job done and that's get those unwholesome thoughts out of the mind. Yeah. Okay, and then we visit um, Sutta number 111, uh, which is the Sutta uh, referenced as one by one. And here is where the Buddha talks about Sariputta. Now, there are several indications that this Sutta is very early. This is one of the very early ones. One of the indications is that uh, Buddha would be talking about Sariputta in this way as a way of introducing him as a teacher, mm. not as a memorial after he had died. Yeah. Right? Okay. That's one of the ways of looking at it. But there's also the sequence of events and things that are put in there that actually match very closely with the Sutta Napata and the uh, Udana's way of speaking, which indicates that this Sutta is possibly very early, that this was done at the time. And we also know that, Sut that Sariputta was one of the very first students of the Buddha. And we also known he was known as the general, one of the generals. And basically what was going on was is that uh, Mahamagala and then later and together Mahakasapa did the, uh, the training and the teachers of the nobles. And that Sariputta was sort of the dean of undergraduate school. Okay, he was the one that would take the ordinary minded and bring them to a noble state, bring them to the state of Sotapan, which, by the way, the bringing of the state of the, uh, to the Sotapan in the full fruit of Sotapan is delight in the Dhamma, which means that part of Sariputta's job is just to spread that delight. Yeah. Okay. And then in this sutta, when uh, Sariputta is being introduced, he's been introduced as one who is wise. He's got encompassing wisdom. He's got sharp wisdom. He's got joyous wisdom. He's got laughing wisdom. <laughs> okay. This is how the Buddha introduces Sariputta. And then he says that Sariputta was able to do this in a fortnight. Now, a fortnight is an old English word. I don't know why they translated it that way, but we could say that uh, a better way of saying it, he did it in a half moon because yeah. that's much more. In fact, that's possibly what's in the in the poly. OK, so a half moon is like from the new moon to a full moon or from the full moon to a new moon about two weeks, something in that area. So that's the fortnight. And this is about how long it took Sariputta. And then we compare that with Sutta number 10, uh, the, uh, the Satipatthana, and also number 22 in the Dinganakaya, it's similar. It says uh, uh, there uh, in the Maha Satipatthana Sutta that at the end of the sutta, it says that this can be done in seven years. And then he says, what, in seven years, it can be done in seven months. And then he says, what, in seven months, it could be done in seven days. It can be done in seven days. But it yeah. took Sariputta, the star, two weeks to do it. And now we walk into Western Buddhism. We've got meditators sitting around 50 years 
<laughs> arguing with each other whose meditation method is correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Western Buddhism for us. Something has been gone missing. The pragmatic Dharma group know that something has gone missing. They're out madly searching for what Buddhism has lost. There's some sort of key that's been uh, that fits in the lock, and that key has been missing. Well, <clears throat> how the key went missing was the movement out of Asia into Western Buddhism. That was when the key was lost, that the mm -hmm. Asians, they still have the key. <laughs> you go look at the Dalai Lama. You start looking at photos of him. You start uh, hearing talks and lectures that he's done. It. There's that joy. Yeah. Okay. If you want to know what kind of monks and nuns that are worth listening to, listen to their gaiety. And that will be all you need to know. <laughs> are these people up and bright and shining? Or are they... Udo, Bhagava, uh, yeah, I'll teach you some, some uh, you know, that kind of thing. All right. That's, um, that's actually practiced and trained. Um, they, they misunderstand the concept of Upeka. Mm -hmm. That they think that Upeka is almost dead. Yeah, were, yeah. In fact, um, basically... In, in this sutta, it actually explains what's going on, but there's other places where we begin to understand that in the first jhana, we have great exhilarance. We have great exuberance. Wow, this is fantastic. Ooh, it gets even better. Okay. Yeah. And it gets so intense and the euphoria is so great that that now becomes the biggest effort we're putting in is being in the state of euphoria. And so that melts down into a state of complete satisfaction that still has a great deal of gaiety in it. Yeah. But then that melts down to um, uh, what is called upeka. But Upeka is much more of a wisdom-based skill set. Mm -hmm. It is not just dead meat. <laughs> and the way that I describe it is, is that it's like on a large fishing boat. Mm. Mm -hmm. That the captain of the boat can go from bow to stern in heavy water, no problem. But a landlubber who has not been ever walking on, on uh, boats of this size, those waves, he's going to not be able to maintain his stability. He's going to be crashing into the side. He may heave over the side. He may go over the side. <laughs> he's not watching <laughs> what he's doing because he doesn't have the skills of knowing to how to brace oneself against the wave that's about to hit that the sea captain can see, but the landlubber is too interested in what's going on too close around him to see what's about to hit. <laughs> okay, so in fact, what we can see, see then is this part of this uh, issue about the upeka is that you have a really broad view so you can mm -hmm. get a really good sense of what's going on in general around you. Mm -hmm. And with that, uh, that 
that still that um, exuberance that we have still has the quality of the right attitude built into it, mm-hmm. even though uh, it's uh, it's you could say it's almost like in a big big uh, world competition boxing match. Mm-hmm. That one guy is walking in there knowing that he's going to win. He's got this made and he does it. And then after he wins, he is still excited, but he's settling down now. Okay, mm-hmm. so Muhammad Ali, you know, he, uh, they say he, uh, what is it, uh, uh, floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. Okay, so he was all <laughs> over the place, but he was also playing rope-a-dope. Mm-hmm. But let's not get into this techniques. The point that I'm making about it is, is that when we're when we're waltzing into a game, we know we're going to win. We're we're up for it. We're exhilarated. We've got enthusiasm for it. Yeah. After after we've won the game, it's it's almost like now there's the reassurance. Well, I told you so. But we <laughs> do it with a much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But the confidence is solidly still there. And that confidence is built up with that joy. The dry insight never gets that confidence built up. So we we actually need to change the unwholesome, ordinary, loser, fit in, go along to get along mentality into I'm really on top of this game. Yeah. That I'm really climbing the mountain of the mind. And very few people do. And so this is an important thing. I may not be able to stay on top of the mind forever, but that's not the point. The point is, is can do I know the path to get to the top again? Yeah. Okay. And when we keep practicing, then we know that we can remember or we can get out of this. At any point in time, whatever problems we've got, we can come right out of it. All we have to do is remember that we can come out of it and out we come because we know we can do it. Uh, it takes very little effort now. Yeah. And so we yeah. want to develop it that way so that in the beginning, it's going to take some major effort. For some people, it's going to take clenching teeth and tongue stuck <laughs> to the roof of the mouth and that kind of stuff. But after that, it becomes an easy piece of piece of cake. Just like, oh, never mind. Yeah. And it almost feels too good to be real sometimes. So, well, that's the euphoria. We want to encourage you to feel like, wow, this reality is so much better than the reality that I've had before, that this yeah. reality seems not real until you visited enough to where you know for sure this is yeah. real. This is the real and, stuff. Yeah, and still you can realize the, the dukkha let's say you've had before because you know it was because of your own craving for sensuality Mm -hmm. and stuff and i think that there is a huge difference in realizing the the suffering um with a happy mind or with this liberation of mind and because you you are um how can you say that Uh, you like to investigate. It is a way not to look at the dump and say, ah, there is craving and get frustrated about it. But you realize uh, kind of a way out of it and 
like it's a time to celebrate. That's another point that really is worth making. You just hit it. Congratulations for seeing this. Yes, that as we practice, then we spend more time in the wholesome. Yeah. And by doing so, we spend less time in the unwholesome, which means we have less stuff, less trash to take out. We don't have to yeah. deal with the yucky stuff so much that we keep coming back to uh, the investigation. Well, what's happening right now? Great things are happening right now. That's <laughs> what's happening right now. And so yeah. it begins to build in that direction that this is a, a positive feedback loop. Yeah. Um, just like a forest fire in the wind, that the uh, uh, the hotter the fire gets and the more the wind blows, the the, the greater the fire gets is it going up the hill. As long <laughs> as it's got fuel, it is so. Um, that's how it works. Or like global warming, that the tundra, when it when it uh, loses its ice, now it gets brown and more sunlight, and so we, the warming happens even faster. This yeah. is in also in a positive feedback loop like that. Yeah. Um, that the more joy you pile on, the easier it is to find joy to pile on. Mm. And the more joy you spread with others, the more joy you're left with. <laughs> it's a positive feedback loop. That's how it works. It's a win-win situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, um, basically... What we're talking about here in wholesome versus unwholesome is other words that we use. We can use in seven, 117, it actually talks about wrong thought versus right thought. Mm -hmm. In um, Sutta number 19 and in Sutta number 20, it uses the word kusala and a kusala mm -hmm. for wholesome and unwholesome thought. Yeah, in, the Anapan, in the Anapanasati Sutta, they use the word gladdening or brightening of the mind. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that means now we've got a kind of a little vocabulary of what's going on. And that if we brighten or gladden the mind, that's actually when we start adding something extra to it. Yeah. Okay, and that's that positive element that needs to be put in there. Um, let me point it out like this. This is something that they have eventually found out in electrical engineering and physics, that uh, <clears throat> a, a sine wave normally comes finally to a stop after a positive. It doesn't go negative and then come back up to zero. Mm -hmm. That is also like um that a car going up the hill is more likely to stop than yeah. it is on the downhill if it's going on the downhill slope the likelihood is it will continue to go on down all right yeah what i'm getting at is is that if upeka is in fact a balanced place you cannot get to that balanced place from a negative place you can't go from from minus one up to zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Physical science doesn't work that way. But in fact, the right way to do is put it into a cycle so that the negative goes po positive. And then from the positive one, now it goes down, like falling, going down a hill, so that you yeah. go back down to the level point. 
So in that regard, that what's meaning is, is that the pity melts into sukha and sukha melts into equanimity. But yeah. this does not necessarily happen over a 10 or 20 minute period. Sometimes it goes like this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sometimes it's up and down and up and down and up and down. And so yeah. this is also something that can be watched to begin to look at these wholesome states of mind. Yeah. And to see what states they're in. We also, in fact, what we're beginning to talk about now is being free from the hindrances and what mm -hmm. it's like and what are we going to do when we're free from the hindrances. Because, in fact, even though we have talked about purification of the mind in uh, and in fact, that would be a whole new group of suttas talking about what is purification of the mind. And a lot of people think that purification of the mind means merely having no thoughts at all, that the mind is pure when it's got no thoughts. No, yeah. the mind can have no thoughts and be grumpy. And that's not <laughs> a pure mind. No, what we're talking about is, is that the mind is pure when it is in, uh, when all impurities of unwholesome thoughts and feelings are removed from the mind, not mm -hmm. thoughts altogether, that one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought would then be considered a void mind or a pure mind. Yeah. And so the Westerner has the wrong concept about what a pure mind is. They think a pure mind is you know, a broken mind or a clock that stops rather than one that's spot on with accuracy. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so a pure mind is, um, what is meant by that is that it's free from defilement, free from pollution. Exactly right. Yeah. And so and this, this yeah. go ahead. Um, I think it sometimes it's feel like a, a little bit dichotomous. Um, if since I've started practicing the way you teach, I really feel the liberation and the joy in the teachings. And before uh, we first met, it was just looking at a wall and in terms of the hindrances and just looking at the hindrances, but not experiencing this joy, this fruit of the practice, mm -hmm. that it is something very, very beneficial and something that lights up the, uh, the life. But um, it's like a proof that the teaching is working if your life changes in terms of your being happier and mm -hmm. you like to meditate. Yeah. Well, there is, for some reason, and I'm not quite sure what it is, I know that I experienced it, but there is a kind of mindset that is against joy. Mm hmm Okay, I think that part of that is built into Christianity, but where did Christianity get their nails to build this in? Sorry, I'm making a joke here. <laughs> <laughs> because the whole concept is, is that you got to suffer. And then yeah. something will have mercy upon you because you're suffering. And so a lot of people in the world are competing for how bad they suffer. Yeah. Okay. They take the victim's position. Yeah. Whole political parties can take a victim's position. Yeah. 
and being really angry at what those libs are doing. And libs are not doing anything or sitting around enjoying themselves, but we got an enemy now. It's their fault. Right? <laughs> so you can have an entire political structure or an entire nation. Hitler was a revenge-based. They, they did it to us. Let's go get them back. We got to purify our race, you know? And so that mentality can grow to that point. And so when that mentality comes into religion, they say, oh, no, the Buddha talked about Upeka. You're supposed to be door. You're supposed to be down. And then they'll find all kinds of evidence for that. One of them is an, um, in the Paddy Mork, there is a rule about laughing out loud in public. Well, yes, we can understand that. For instance, a public forum, uh, a public speech, court, ceremonies, those mm -hmm. are not places that monks are going to laugh out loud. Yeah. Right? You don't want to call attention to yourself. No, laughter is something that we do in private, <laughs> either one-on-one -on -one or one without another one. <laughs> <laughs> And and so uh, this is the way that uh, the Paddy Mork is talking about it. And in fact, in the sutras, they talk about Sariputta being laughing wisdom, joyous wisdom. Joyousness is built into the practice of Buddhism, and many Buddhist practitioners get it, but most don't. And many of those who don't get it wind up uh, being so dedicated to whatever they're doing that they want to teach the Dhamma, but they wind up teaching something that they don't know. And so they <laughs> do teach something that they do know. And that means that now there's whole areas to where things have gone kind of wrong. An example mm -hmm. of that would be mindfulness-based stress reduction that will teach mm -hmm. the joy. In the Zen now, Western Zen especially don't teach the joy. Choiceless awareness and other things that are coming out of Vajrayana are not teaching the joy. Yeah. And even the Mahasi method has that built in, but it's not emphasized well enough so the people miss it. Yeah. Okay. Even in the Mahasi uh, article that I know of, Mahasi has said that you have to jump on, to seize, to, uh, to fall on, uh, to confront your object of mm. meditation, which fits in exactly with the way that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it, in the sense you've got to seize the object of breath. You've got to take over it. But we yeah. also have to seize the mind and take over it and put the kind <laughs> of thoughts in it that we want to have. Yeah. Okay, so this is another issue that's missed. These two things together, either both the lack of joy in the first place and the uh, the strength and the power of effort that it takes to put that stuff in place. Mm. This is an active effort, full meditation. You gotta yeah. put the effort in. Yeah, you gotta gladden that mind up because you've been talking to yourself your whole life into feeling bad. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time to talk ourselves into feeling good, but we need to work at that. There's yeah. a little bit of effort to put in to bring the joy up. And this is what is missing in Western meditation. And if they would add that ingredient, then the progressive Dharma would actually work for them. 
and you'd have a bunch of happy Buddhas all over the place, laughing, <laughs> joking, and <laughs> yeah, and everything. But we, as the skills grow, that means that we begin to see more and more what is wholesome and more and more what is not wholesome. So, in fact, that dry noting at one point is very wholesome, but later on it's not wholesome because it's so dry that we need yeah. juicy noting, not not dry <laughs> noting. <Yeah. laughs> and so putting that juice in, Putting the fuel in. In fact, that's the fuel. Here's another way of looking at it, that effort takes more effort when there's no enthusiasm. Mm. But when we actually create enthusiasm and put some enthusiasm in it, now that's a new fuel for the fire of right effort. That's why the effort seems to get less and less is because I <laughs> okay, you're back. Ah, yeah. I hope. Uh, just a sec. I I I've heard you, buddy. Can you hear me? Ah, now I see you again, Bante. Can you see me? <laughs> I see you again. Uh -huh. 